Sweet. Should I start? Go ahead, Tom. Right. <laughs> actually, before I start, can you pass the water down? I just want a little cup of water. Actually, I want a big cup. So my name is Tom Johnson, and um, I, uh, I work down in San Jose at a company called 41st Parameter. It's uh, not really a... It's a business-to-business -business company, so most people haven't heard of it, but they do fraud detection, advertising uh, technology, that kind of thing. Um, thanks. And today I'm going to be speaking to you about API documentation. Thanks. All right. Um, so before, uh, I've only been in California for a couple of years. Before I moved out here, I was living in Utah, working as a, as a regular technical writer, doing GUI-based documentation where you've got an interface and you, you've got, you know, for some administrator or something, you've got tasks to do. And um, at some point, I'd been there for five years, the company decided to lay off all their technical writers. And I said, you know what, it's time to move out to California. I wanted to come to the mecca of tech and make my way out here. And I started to... Uh, interview at various places and I ended up at a company called called Badgeville which does gamification and the reason they were looking for a technical writer is because the, the 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 current technical writer she was somewhat overwhelmed with a lot of stuff but in particular there was a JavaScript SDK and uh, a REST API that they were documenting and it was a lot of new territory um, and so I, I somehow persuaded them that I knew enough JavaScript to get by and and started working there and I soon kind of realized um, that working with developer documentation was radically different from regular tech writer, normal tech writer documentation. Uh, with normal tech writer documentation, you have tools like Madcap Flare or FrameMaker, and you create files and you publish them, and you know it, it's somewhat uh, everything kind of fits into that paradigm. But with developer documentation, with API documentation. It's like another world, right? This is, a, this is supposed to sh be like Mars. Um, the, the tool sets are all different, uh, especially if you're generating, uh, auto-generating a lot of the documentation. The documentation, a lot of times, doesn't even live in your, on your computer. It's in these source files that developers are uploading into uh, sub, uh, source control repositories. And the regular tool set just kind of breaks down. And so, as I was kind of making my way in this, in this API developer documentation world, uh, I realized that there's a huge lack of information for tech writers specifically in the tech comm circles about it. And so um, uh, about a year ago, Liz Poland, who's the editor of the STC Intercom, approached me and said, hey, we're doing an issue on trends. You know, you want to be a guest editor? And I said, uh, well, the trend that I think is most important right now is API documentation, so let's do something on that. Um, and so as a uh, guest editor, I got to choose various writers and uh, try to come up with topics and then edit them and, and arrange them and so forth. So the, this month's issue of Intercom actually is dedicated to API documentation. Um, and it covers a lot of, you, you, can, you don't actually have to, uh, have access to the SCC to get this issue, actually. Somebody put it on Dropbox. But um, <laughs> the, it covers a lot of different aspects of developer documentation. Um, this is a slide from, sorry, I'm right in your way, but I don't know where else to stand. Uh, this is a slide from a, a, a guy's presentation. A person's name is John Musser. He's the founder of Programmable Web. And he speaks on why your API, like why the APIs, 10 reasons developers hate your API. Um, so he's, you know, he's a developer, he's, he's in that circle and he's on top of all the APIs that are coming out. And he says one of the top reasons why developers hate the API is because the documentation sucks. Um, which uh, to me pre presents a great opportunity for tech writers to bring our skill sets into this API doc world and try to make great documentation where, where it's lacking. This is a job, I came across this uh, on Indeed the other day, contract API tech writer Palo Alto, it's still out there. Um, and it says, the client wants to find someone who will emulate Dropbox's developer documentation. You know, so you, you think, well, what kind of documentation do they have? You know, what does it look like? And it's 
it's somewhat basic. It's minimalistic, but it's clean. And as you go through it, I mean, it's got a little selector up here for your, your particular um, toolkit and so forth. Uh, but it's a complete website and it's, it's not your classic try paint help output from a help authoring tool. It's something much more. And I think there's a great demand for this skill set, especially in this area. I've been just kind of monitoring the jobs um, and not that I'm looking for anything, I'm just kind of keeping aware. And there's tons of jobs for API documentation in this area in particular, more than anywhere else I would say. Uh, so, so that's why I think this, this topic is extremely relevant and a lot of people in here already do API documentation. So here's my focus tonight. First, I'm gonna talk about native API docs, then REST API, whoops, not DOS, docs, <laughs> and then 10 best practices. Some things I'm not going to talk about, I'm not gonna talk about writing the content, interacting with developers, uh, learning to read code, understanding the different languages, or commenting on code samples, or, or how to create a getting started, a hello world tutorial, all very important topics. I just wanna focus more on the publishing. Uh, because I think a lot of times, you know, we, we come into the API doc scene and our job is to kind of work with uh, content that has already been sketched out, so to speak, by developers. Um, uh, content that uh, is already existing and we wanna make it clear, readable, attractive, you know, and turn it into something like that Dropbox documentation. Okay, any questions before I move on? All right. Native API, now I don't really know exactly what the correct term is here, native, local, but there's a type of API where uh, in order to, for people to incorporate it into their projects, you basically send them the library, they download it, they install it, incorporate it into their projects, and it's compiled when they compile their application. Um, so I'm calling these native APIs. And just to kind of give some basics about the API landscape, uh, an API is essentially uh, something that enables two systems to interact, right? You've got a system A and a system B, and it interacts. When I worked at Badgeville, uh, it's a gamification company, so basically lots of people had websites, community websites, and we had all, this, uh, all these um, cool JavaScript things that would, or JavaScript visuals that would allow people to show the badges and the rewards and the missions. So they put some, some uh, special code on their page and it, and it interacted with our API and they were able to visualize things. So that's just essentially the, the, the role of the API. And there's lots of different kinds of APIs, but I'm just focusing on these two. <clears throat> if you look, Sarah Maddox has a great post on all the different types of APIs out there. <clears throat> you can get into hardware APIs and things like that. Sarah Maddox. Yeah, and I'll publish this on my site with some links. But if you, if you search for uh, all the different kinds of APIs, Ceramatics, you'll find some good content. The tech writer's responsibility, as I said, is, is not so much to write the API documentation from scratch, always, but uh, you work closely with developers. You, maybe you write it with, from scratch, maybe you don't, but you, you are kind of in a very close-knit, interactive role with them. All right, so we're starting with the native APIs. And the basic concept is that the, the developer, you probably can't see this, it's just a sample. The developer um, puts some special code or some special syntax in their code that looks like this. Starts out with a, a, a forward slash, a couple of asterisks, asterisks, and then they put a description and then they have special keywords like at param, at throws, and once you put all the special syntax in here, uh, you, you compile it into a auto-generated auto documentation uh, through Javadocs or Doxygen. So that's basically how it works. Um, and some developers uh, may put more effort into it than others, some may not even do it. Um, but essentially, all that stuff gets rendered into an auto-format like this, uh, and, and it allows people to kind of more easily skim the source code. Now, among the native doc areas, there are two power players for the documentation generators, Java Doc and Doxygen. Uh, the first one, Java Doc, basically only works with Java. You run it from your 
IDE, wherever you're coding in, um, your NetBeans or your Eclipse editor, whatever, uh, you can automate it into builds so that people don't even, our developers, they don't even realize it's taking place. They, they upload their content and there's a build process on the server that automatically transforms the content into these Javadoc files. So that the developers don't even really, they're not even entirely conscious of what the output is like. They're just adding some little comments as they code. And it looks cool. It's got a nice blue and orange kind of color and it's very well organized. You've got like your, your, your packages and then all the classes that are in each package and all, every class has a list of constructors and methods. It's very well organized, but it's, uh, it's frame based. And if you jump out of the frame, if you choose no frames, then the navigation goes away and you're kind of uh, wander, wandering around there. So it hasn't really been updated for 10 years, uh, 20, I don't know. It's really old, um, but it works and it's the staple. You'll see if you search for Javadocs on indeed.com, you'll find lots of, lots of uh, hits, but they're mostly related to software engineering positions. You don't often see like tech writer Java docs so much. Doxygen is the power player documentation generator for pretty much everything else. Uh, it will do Java, it will do C++, it will do C Sharp and a host of other languages. Um, it, it, uh, it's got a different look and feel, but it's very easy to run. They actually have a, a, a GUI front end that you can install. It looks like this and you basically tell it where's the sort where's the list of my source files or where's the directory of my source files which you have to get right um, download or, or hook into uh, and then you basically add a few other configuration options and hit go and it produces it um, so uh, Doxygen and Javadocs two commonly used tools um, and now there's there's a lot of arguments I posted a uh, a question on LinkedIn the other day in the API documentation group asking whether you know, documentation generators were, were still commonly used. And there's a lot of pros and cons about this, this method of documentation. Uh, the, pro, the biggest pro in using a documentation generator, that is keeping all your documentation in the source code, um, at least related to your API is that it avoids documentation drift. So this is a continental drift metaphor here, right? It, it, the idea is if you have developers working on different classes and so forth, and the documentation is not included there, well, they'll soon stop writing it and the other people who are doing documentation won't know about it. And pretty soon your, your API and your documentation will be pretty different. So it makes sense to consolidate them, to keep them close. Also, hey, uh, if the person who's writing the actual code um, can add a few lines about how it works, who is better equipped to do that, right? They, they know it, they understand it, and when people incorporate it, incorporate the API into their, into, their, um, into their projects, into their IDE projects, you get tool tips that allow you to easily see what all these different classes and methods are. Cons of in-source documentation. Um, it's subject to something called the curse of knowledge. Uh, have you heard of the curse of knowledge? Is this a common thing? No. This is, <laughs> this is uh, something, now I'm gonna go through each of these. Oh. I'll, I'll dive into each of, these, each of these, but basically, the curse of knowledge. This is a great article by Steven Pinker, but the term is not uh, specific to him. Basically, the person who has a ton of knowledge often overestimates how much other people know about the subject. So a developer, you, I'm sure you've heard this, a developer says, oh, you know, our users are gonna know this. Uh, they're gonna be familiar with that. I don't need to explain, them how, explain to them how to code, you know? And then you're like, oh, okay. Um, and, and then a few months later, the users are using the documentation. And they're like, we don't understand it. We want more examples. We want more information. The developer says, you know, it, anyway, it's common. So it, it makes sense to have the developer kind of provide some information that's in the source, but at the same time, it can be somewhat um, uh, hurtful. All right, here's probably the main problem. In-source documentation is not necessarily task-focused. Uh, this is something a person pointed out. Um, 
you know, as you're, as you're going through each class and describing it, it's, it, it's the equivalent of taking a GUI and taking each button and describing it or each page and describing it. Real documentation is focused on tasks and workflows and goals, right? And so you can't really get that task-based documentation if you're just going method by method and describing what it does. Well, first of all, API documentation and user documentation are not exactly the same. Right, I know. Uh, but uh, yes, even API documentation can be task-focused, but that's, that's, for example, in Java Docs, that's what the, uh, the package uh, doc file is for. Oh, so you're saying so that the package contains the, the task? Yeah, you, you make a, a packet, I forget the, the way you name it, but you don't just use the, uh, the in the source code stuff, you put an extra file in there for each package, and then you can put all sorts of uh, conceptual information about that package, and when you use it, and why, and all of that stuff. Oh, okay. Well, here's, a, here's what I think often happens, though. If you have a lot of different developers working on the code, and each person is responsible for a little part of it, um, who's the person who makes the overall package description? The writer. <laughs> Duh. Well, this leads into my, my third point, is, is lack of ownership. Uh, this is a stray dog. It's kind of like uh, if you've got 10 developers and they each are, are writing different components of it, who owns the overall uh, experience of, of the help? I don't think anybody, do, anybody does. It's more like a wiki. That's probably a better metaphor. Right? Everybody does a little bit without seeing how it all fits together. Are and you saying that these are potential issues or <laughs> that they are always that way? Because I'm with Richard. I've seen all of these addressed by the tech writing team owns the Java doc, even though the developers yeah. are supposed to put certain comments in. They don't own the Java doc part of it. Right. I mean, it depends, it depends how your shop is set up. Okay. I guess I'm addressing the situation where the developers drive the, the documentation in that. that uh, about, so. In the back. Another problem, um, and I don't mean to be bashing the in-source documentation so much. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I'm trying to say, you know, tech writers should be more inserted in this. But uh, another problem is these auto-generated -doc auto documentation uh, outputs don't really integrate into the rest of your help. So you end up with, this is a screenshot from netty.io. And you can see they've got their, their user guide, and then they've got their Java docs, right? And the two are, are different outputs. So. Remember back in that Dropbox developer documentation screenshot, it was kind of one happy hole? Well, with this uh, documentation generator uh, workflow, you have different outputs, which may be advantageous if you've got a lot of different versions. Um, finally, some people who are, who are really against the, the in-source or auto-doc um, say that it gives an illusion of, of real doc without actually having it. Uh, this is a guy named Jacob Kaplan Moss who says, Auto-generated documentation is worse than useless. It lets maintainers fool themselves into thinking they have documentation, thus putting off actually writing reference by hand. If you don't have documentation, just admit it. Maybe a volunteer will offer to write some. But don't lie and give me that auto-documentation crap. So if you have Java Docs, it looks cool, it looks professional, you know, but it's, uh, the, it, maybe it tricks people into thinking that's all they need. Well, a lot of it is right. I mean, because it's generated automatically, it does tell you honestly and accurately <laughs> what the methods are, what the sub-superclasses yeah. are, um, what the arguments of the methods are, and so forth. That's not useless information. What he just talked, what he just described is useful information. Yeah. Um, so one thing, uh, one question I've had as I've kind of been in this world is is would merging the auto doc with regular doc help solve integration and ownership issues if suddenly you're a tech writer and you're like oh i've got all this auto doc stuff that developers have written and i'm putting it into my territory maybe it'll increase the sense of control and ownership um, well 
Unfortunately, there's not a whole lot of world ways to kind of merge the two. You could try to uh, leverage DITA and convert your, your source into DITA. Uh, if you use Java, there's a tool called DocFacto. If you use C++, there's a patched Doxygen. If you use uh, .NET, there's a Python scripts you could write. You know, and you could kind of pull it in there. Um, or you could just say, look, I'm not going to use TechCom tools. I'm going to use developer tools. I'm going to use Doxygen and write a bunch of markdown files for all my user guide information. And Doxygen will then process those markdown files. So anyway, um, I don't know whether merging is a huge issue or not. Some people say it is, others don't. This is a, a discussion that came out of LinkedIn on this question. And this guy says, look, it reminds me of back in the day when I was a photographer. So many of my colleagues were wrapped up in the technology. They forgot the original purpose was to create a photograph. Same with document generators. We're debating whether it's better to generate docs from source comments than an alternative. My point is that this debate is a red herring. It's not where you put the information, it's the quality of information. So there's lots of pros and cons to the in-source kind of model. Some people say, you know, worry about the content, not the fact that you have five different outputs. Uh, well, the problem with merging is yeah. that it's very hard to get the information that you may add uh, merged with the information that gets generated automatically. So if you take the whole thing and take it out of uh, the automatic generation cycle, then it starts getting old. And you, you might make it better and better, but it gets older and older. No, I mean, I, w I would say that uh, you would have to pull the latest build and run your processor to convert it each time. So, okay, that, that, is, uh, that is an approach, but that's a very difficult approach. Right. Because that's what we do at Salesforce. We generate the stub of the topic uh, with extremely creaky and almost always broken tools. <laughs> and then the tech writer fills in all, uh, all of the content, the juicy content, and descriptions of fields, the gotchas, that kind of stuff. But, but it's doesn't very that entail creepy. a lot of doing the same thing over and over again? We only have to do it once because typically there's very small changes to, um, once you generate the skeleton of the file, there's not usually a lot of changes to the method or the object. Uh, or the call, um, but it does require a tech writer to find out about the small changes that do occur. So I want to kind of move into the more exciting kind of API documentation. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, this isn't exciting. Well, <laughs> this is the REST API uh, life. Uh, I kind of feel like the native APIs are, are I don't know if they're uh, not as common anymore or what, but it, I feel like REST APIs are kind of the new kid on the block and, and it's more exciting. Um, and there's a lot more, there's a lot of difference between them. Um, but first, let me give some basics about the REST how the REST APIs work. You basically uh, pass a URL, you go to a URL uh, that has a specific uh, syntax and some configurations and you get a response. So this is, this is from Flickr. If you want to see all the photos in your album, you use this specific request and you put in your API key and some other information, you get your response. Um, here's the same example, but I've changed the format, the configuration format to JSON. And now I get my response in JSON, right? Which looks really unintelligible. You can make it pretty and readable, but uh, that's basically how it works. It's all, it's all HTTP based. You go to a URL, you get this kind of information. Here's an example from Clout. Um, you, you, you go to this request, you, this is a lot more simpler, a lot simpler. Uh, you pass in this Twitter uh, screen name and this, you get the Twitter ID back and so forth. So you don't have to have this huge page of information, maybe you just get back a couple of points. Uh, a lot of times when you're demonstrating the different kinds of requests, you, you show this through curl calls. You can do uh, a get, post, put, or delete, basically. You retrieve the information, or you can edit something, or create it, or delete it. Uh, but there's different kinds of uh, methods you can pass here to your HTTP request. Now, here's the here's the important part. Um, <clears throat> REST APIs don't really have the same auto doc kind of uh, capabilities. There's no Java docs or Doxygen for REST APIs. REST APIs, and uh, this is this person is saying basically. They're written in whatever language you like, so 
people don't have these complex scripts written to transform things um, into the, the auto doc outputs. <clears throat> there, is, there are some endpoint generators. Uh, one is called Swagger. <clears throat> Raise your hand if you've heard of Swagger. This just lets me know. Okay, so a few people. This is, this is uh, a tool that if you write your REST API in a specific, or if you write a specification that kind of details how your REST API works, Swagger can then take that specification, process it, and package it up into a cool looking um, interactive sort of model of documentation. So here, in their example, if you just go to Swagger's example, you can see that you can enter stuff, uh, like in the value, value you can put a, a value and then you can generate the response in real time. Here's a much better example, I think. Um, Mashery IO has a similar sort of thing as Swagger. I think it's called IO Docs. But basically, you can add in uh, some values for different fields. This is USA Today has an API. And you can enter things like uh, the, the count, the, the days, the page, and then you can get back a response. Um, here's, here's an example with Clout. I think they have a really great, great set of documentation. And here you go in, and it's got the method, identity. Um, and you can add in your Twitter ID, um, which, by the way, all your Twitter usernames have a numerical equivalent. And once you hit try it, as long as you've entered your API key, which I've got there, you see the exact response. So it's real-time documentation. You can, see the, you can enter in the request and see the, what comes back. Yeah? Well, how, how does this? So you say you can write it in any language you want. That, what do you mean by language? Any formatting system you want? So I mean the source code of the API. It could be a Java API, C++ API. It could be something written in Ruby, some, like a lot of different APIs. But somebody's got to write a description somewhere. Yeah. You're talking about Doxygen or Java Doc. These are in these, these yeah. comments. So, so you have to. So, Swagger requires you to write a specification file that has something in some format that it can process. Um, and I don't know about how, how Mashery IO docs works, but I imagine it's similar. So you have to take and write something outside of that source. You know, it's not going to live in the source code, the, the documentation. It's going to live in a, some kind of specification file that Swagger or something else can read and then parse through. Okay, the specification, it defines how the output's going to look. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But, it, but none of the content that you want to see in the output is going to be found in the specification file. That so, to be in another file. So the responses, now I'm not a Swagger expert. I haven't incorporated this, so I don't really know. But the responses are going to come directly from the API. It's just going to like be a cog between the API and, and the responses, I believe. Um, so basically, you're going to have an HTTP server sitting somewhere on you know, some machine, and you're going to send something in the format it wants, and it's going to send you back JSON. Should I go to this on? on uh... OK, so but that means that nobody had to write any content. No, somebody has to write this. I think it's in JSON, the file that Swagger is going to require. But I think I still have this open. Um, oh, I didn't do the Wi-Fi. Well, usually these REST APIs are, are fairly simple, but they're for, for accessing databases and things like that. So the stuff that you get back is, it's like accessing a database or going to Amazon and asking for the price of a book when you have the ISBN or something. It's that kind of interaction. What's the Wi-Fi password? Collaborate, Collaborate. exclamation mark. Impact. Hmm. Did I? I'll try it one more time. Capital C. Capital C. Collaborate. Co. It also might be they may have recently changed it. Oh. That would explain. Zero for the first O. Zero for the first O. Oh. Oh. Zero. No, it's actually zero. Okay. O. Is it O? No. I get it. <laughs> hey, you got you got it. Okay. So. Oh. 
I guess I should have done this earlier, but uh, I wasn't really actually planning to go on there. All right, this is Clout's IO docs, and I think it's the best example of this kind of thing. Um, Clout is a service that measures your like online coolness, basically. So. <laughs> So it asks you to sign in, and you have to sign up for a, like an API key, whatever, you just get it. And now it knows me, right? It's like, oh, there's your API key. So if I want to plug in, I want to try this guy. It remembers my Twitter ID. Um, oh, no, this is not my Twitter ID. What's my Twitter ID? Crap. 707, what's that say? 893, okay. 707-893, or Tom Johnson. And now it gives them the response, and it this basically shows you in real time, this was the URI that's submitted. So this is the Twitter ID and so forth. And this is the response that came back. Uh, tells you basically the ID, and I'm not even sure what that is. Um, I haven't really played around with this, but basically that's the idea, is that you plug in values and then you can see the response in real time. Let's, let's try some of these others. So basically it's interactive documentation. Um, and I'm not entirely sure of how you have to set all this up, but basically it does not live, the, the documentation, the specification that you have to write for it does not live in your source file, in, your, in whatever your API was coded in. Okay, um, let me come back here. Now, there's all, there is one company that actually does do Autodoc if you're using Java for your API. It's called MyerDot. Um, they're new on the scene, um, and actually they were just in town here. They're from somewhere in Europe, and they were, they're kind of developing this because Java is probably one of the more common languages. So they're trying to develop a way to produce the auto documentation. Um, now, as far as like REST API documentation examples, most of them look pretty cool. Uh, I try to find a picture of something that was really cool. Uh, so <laughs> Catwoman came to mind. <laughs> but, but most of the API doc sites are, are impressive. If you go to a site called programmableweb.com, they list 12,000 of the web APIs, things that people can actually access uh, and check out. So if you want good examples of REST API documentation, web API documentation, go to programmableweb.com and check it out. So I have kind of been browsing them. Obviously, I haven't gone through 12,000 of them. But I've been trying to pick out kind of some salient features, uh, things to, to note, try to pick out themes. Um, and so I'm, I've kind of pulled together 10 characteristics that I think are common. Thank you for whoever keeps filling my water cup. I appreciate that. <laughs> I just noticed that. Uh, I picked out 10 features, and, uh, and then I want to move into the discussion from there. Constant contacts API. It's, it's looking pretty good, but you'll notice it's an entire seamless website. It's not just a single output file. You've got various things across the top, and it's one integrated experience. No, no, we're, we're on REST APIs. This is a, for, oh, those are examples. Yeah, these are examples okay, of REST APIs. Um, there are two more things that I wanted to mention. I just wanted to make sure it was all on. Yeah, well, why don't you tell me what they are, and I'll see if this is a great time or not. One is API Hub. So it's, okay. a, um, it's from MuleSoft, their company, Feedbox. Okay. Um, and they have a big, they're trying to be like a one-stop shop, find every API you could ever want. Did you say API Hub or API Club? Hub. And then the other is RAML, R-A-M-L, ah, and it's good. a new, um, uh, also from MuleSoft originally, um, a spec for specifying. And that's, uh, it's, it's. To, uh, specifying the REST API that will result in useful documentation out of it. No, so as I understand it, RAML and Swagger are similar, right? They're yeah, competitors. They, they're, they're, they're But they're not the same. No, they're from different vendors. So why is it that we already have this division? I mean, why can't they just all get together and say, <laughs> we're going to make a spec? Thank you for bringing that up. Um, those are, those are uh, excellent resources, and we'll continue that. Uh, another great API 
Yelp. And you know, you'll notice that it's branded to look just like Yelp. So, so you, you've get, you, you're getting sexy documentation sites, right? You're not getting the standard Javadoc. You're not getting the same look and feel. There's no uh, try pain help look here. You've got a table of contents, but it's not a frame set or anything. So these are examples of, of REST API documentation. Yes, yes. See, the, the basic thing about REST is that they're really simple. <laughs> I mean, you're not, it's not a complicated API. Well, the, I mean, the essence of REST is it doesn't maintain state. It makes you maintain the state. So uh, everything, everything you need for it to do a, a to answer your request, everything about identifying the resource you need, everything about telling it what you want to do is in the URL. And so you send it, and it does whatever it is you tell it to. And so they're really simple. They can't be very complicated, uh, based given given that everything's in the URL. Good point. Um, when I worked at a Badgeville, they had they had the REST API, which was just, you know, the as you're explaining, web requests and responses. Then they ha we had a JavaScript SDK that was designed to help you take that information that comes back and manipulate it using JavaScript in an easier way. So I think that's where it can be more tricky. It's like now that I've got all this information, how do I parse through it and process it and do stuff with it? I don't know. It depends it's, what you're it's doing. It's in JSON. It's all in <laughs> JSON, which is like XML, only simpler, basically. So it's self-documented. <laughs> Dropbox API, I mentioned this at the start, has a very clean and simple, minimalist sort of look and feel. Right? They're, they're famous for this, but you'll notice there's lots of white space. It's not cluttered. Foursquare's API. Uh, often, a lot of these begin with is these getting started or hello world type of tutorials that get you up and running with it. Um, it's kind of like their intro, right? Which makes sense, uh, but that's, that's, that's a great way uh, for a lot of these APIs to kick off. YouTube API, they have lots of code samples and this is a, a predominant theme is they're very code sample heavy. You know, the developers, they, they see long blocks of text and their eyes just glaze over. Right, so they, they naturally gravitate to code and all these sites of course have syntax highlighting so you can see uh, lots the different parts of the code are color coordinated or colored differently, yes? Um, if you plug in, if you go to YouTube and plug in as your search parameters REST API, there's actually one of the top uh, things is actually a little tutorial on, you know, that's about 10 minutes long but actually shows using these things that you've described, I believe. Cool, yeah. Yeah, um, a lot of these I think you, you could totally play around with and have fun. Um, others, probably not so much, but here's one that a lot of people have imitated called the Stripe API. This one is, this API in particular proved to be seminal in its design. You notice how it's got the code on the right um, so based on this design, there was another, another group that, remember I uh, mentioned the programmable web guy, John Musser, he, he started a company called API Science and they created an imitation format called Slate um, that you could plug into and make your documentation look just like this. Um, it's a little, in my opinion, it's a little clunky because as you scroll down, uh, like how exactly does this code on the right change, you know, sometimes you have code examples, sometimes you don't, but it's probably one of the most attractive APIs that people like and a lot of people rave about. How was it built? I mean, it looks to me like there's a fair amount of coding and yeah, I actually, just to get that to work. You know, I asked them that at one point and they responded back and they're HTML, a little bit of jQuery, this and that. You know, there's, no, there's no package that they're using, they're just using front-end technologies. We'll get into that in a minute about about you know how how do we tech writers build beautiful documentation sites? But I'm not there yet. Did you have a you have a comment? Well, I, was gonna, I guess you're going to get to it. How does all this much stripped down, if you want to say, approach give you task-based documentation? Well, well, they uh, yeah. Well, a lot of times the ta the task-based documentation is wrapped up into a developer guide that's kind of separate from the list of classes or whatever methods the API itself has. So, um, yeah, they 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 can live on the same site. This 
particular example isn't showing that kind of content though. Twilio is also a really cool looking API. They've got these tabbers or navigation tabs. And you know, these are jQuery tabs that allow you to obviously just select the language you want to see. Um, this is part of the beauty of the, the REST APIs is that because you're just passing a, an HTTP URL and it's returning data, people can use that data in whatever language they want. So uh, the PHP or, or Java or whatever. And here is where it's tricky because now suddenly if you want to try to provide code samples, you have to like be familiar with six different languages. Um, but it's, uh, it's part of what makes good documentation. A lot of times the API developers may say, well, it's up to the person to figure out how they're going to manipulate this data. But um, a lot of times they do show it and they make use of, of these tabs. This is the same problem we had, by the way, with, uh, with WSDL and SOAP. Mm. Um, you get back WSDL, uh, but the, the tar there was no target language. Uh, so if you had to write the documentation, uh, you have to write it differently for uh, .NET or for uh, Java or Python or you know whatever, um, and there was no clear target for your documentation. But at my current company, Forty First Parameter, we actually have three three flavors of API. It's all the native API stuff, no REST, and we've got a C a .NET, and a Java. And, and for people who, I mentioned the NetEIO, it's some application server, you know, it's like using something else. So I think the, the REST is a great approach because it's somewhat more of a neutral format, right? It's like, here's the data, but then you've got this other problem of all these, the nitty gritty details of how you actually incorporate it into your specific code. All right, the Get Bootstrap API. Now this, uh, we'll see if this, if my PowerPoint skills work here. Basically, this has everything on one page. Um, and so, to give a demo of this, basically, notice the side on the right. As you scroll down, the, the TOC just keeps highlighting, <coughs> right? And everything's on one page. Um, <laughs> this is very common, actually. You may look at this and say, this is ludicrous, but there are tons of documentation sites where this is popular. This is now very passe to actually actually click. You know, if you want to go to another page, scroll, scroll. Um, <laughs> according to some some designers, yeah? Does it have trouble loading? I'm sure it probably has Ajax that's like auto-loading things in the background. So, you know, it's getting very sophisticated. How do you how do you incorporate infinite scrolling into your documentation? But surely you can click on any of those things and it'll go to it, right? Yeah, yeah. What's, what's really cool is that, as like right now it's on navs using dropdowns, the URL actually will say, it'll have a jump link to that. So the URL is dynamically changing as well. Because you want to be able to point people to specific parts of it. All right, and uh, finally, I think this is the last one, the Twitter API has these real-time requests, which is what I was showing earlier. Here you, you, you can use their little generator and show and see uh, what kind of responses you're getting for each of these things. So you get personalized, interactive experiences. Now as far as authoring tools uh, for these, there's a couple that are worth pointing out. One is called readme.io. They're, they're like a month old. Um, somebody pointed me to them and I thought they look pretty cool. They basically have a it's a cloud-based experience. Everything's in the cloud. You sign up for an account, and you just start writing your content. And of course, it says start typing Markdown here, right? Markdown is a syntax, kind of like a wiki syntax for HTML. And uh, I would say of all, all shorthand syntaxes, Markdown is extremely popular. There's another one called RST, uh, which is used with read the docs. Have you heard of this one? This is an extremely popular project. Uh, on their Twitter feed, they said, we just passed 10,000 projects that have been created on the site. 10,000 projects, right? Now, this is a created by uh, some people who are really into Sphinx, which is uh, a, a documentation tool that a lot of, a lot of developers tend to use. Um, now, this model is pretty interesting. Let me see if I have another slide. Yeah. So, 
the way it works is you, it can work in different ways, but basically you, you, if you click edit on GitHub, you go to GitHub and you see the list of files and you can edit it. And then once you commit the, the change uh, on read the docs, if you're hosting it there, you can click a, a rebuild um, button and it will regenerate all your documentation back into this, that, whoops, into this format here. And Sphinx, this is like a vanilla theme from Sphinx. Um, a lot of people like, like Sphinx because it, uh, I think it has a Python backend which allows people to write scripts to accommodate all kinds of custom workflows. So it's very extensible. Um, Sphinx and GitHub have to work together, they're not peers. Well, in the read the docs model, it's an option. It's not a requirement. Basically, you, you author all your content in Sphinx and upload it into their, their platform. They're just trying to be helpful to all the people who want to create documentation and don't have a platform. But it's kind of an interesting model. You know, compare, compare this with wikis, yeah. where, where you just edit in the browser, click save. Here, you're downloading the files and you're uploading to a repository, GitHub, and then rebuilding it. So it's a static. Uh, file generator basically or uh, a, a documentation generator um, that's reading all these static files and producing out the output. The, the wiki model um, isn't quite as popular. Although if you look at Splunk's docs, they took and forked MediaWiki into their own custom tool called PonyDocs, which is cool. I don't actually have a slide on that, but I didn't see too many people using wikis in this space. Okay, so here are my 10 trends that I'm, I'm calling out. Uh, one seamless website, product branding, minimalism, a getting started section, an emphasis on code samples, side-by-side -side code, uh, jQuery tabs, single page docs, and real-time requests. And finally, 10, markdown. So what is side-by-side -side code? That was that Slate example uh, where you, or not Slate, um, Stripe. Yeah, I'll go back there. So you've got basically code on one side, doc on this side. The side pane thing. And how are they related? Oh, these are just trends. Uh, no, the, the request, the right pane shows you the request. The left pane, or the, the main pane shows you all the parameters and configuration options. On markdown again, please. What? What, what markdown is? Markdown is a, it's a, it's a, it's a basically it's kind of like, um, a shorthand syntax for creating HTML. If you put an asterisk, when you convert it in a markdown converter, it changes the asterisk into a bullet. If you do a pound sign, a couple of pound signs before a word, it changes that word into a heading level two, that kind of thing. Really popular, you know, people don't want to, uh, I posted something on my blog the other week, uh, how to write, um, you know, how to print a page in markdown versus how to print a page in Ditta. Uh, and it was like 30 lines in Ditta and three lines in Markdown. It was ridiculous. Um, anyway, here are 10 non-trends. <laughs> things that you may not have, you know, things I'm not calling out, but things we didn't, I don't really see in the REST API doc space. PDF output, don't see it. Uh, collapsible sections with the show and hide kind of stuff, you know, and now people are just scrolling and infinitely loading things. Short pages, I think people, Developers hate this sense of pinballing everywhere. Uh, multiple output. Yeah, I did. Pinballing. Like, if you've got a bunch of short pages and you've got to go from this page and then another page and another page, it gives, gives you that, this sense of being a pinball in a machine. That's all. Um. Another non-trend, multiple outputs of content for different audiences. So this is one that's really difficult, I think. And let me unpack this. Uh, let's say you've got, um, a lot of times you've got three different audiences. Your administrator, your beginner, your, your analyst, and you generate uh, an output for this person and for that person and for this person. They all go to these separate sites. I think most of the REST API doc sites have one site and you can filter things based on kind of what you select, but you're not going to uh, totally different sites. Ditta or XML authoring models, not a whole lot of that in, in this space. Um, actually, Sarah Maddox gave a presentation to our STC Silicon Valley chapter 
Uh, and somebody, there was probably 25 people in the room, and a guy raises his hand and he says, Sarah, uh, do you have any examples or, or have any inside tips on people using DITA with API docs? And nobody said anything. She's like, hmm, nope. <laughs> Which is kind of surprising because I'm in, uh, knee deep in DITA with all my other content. Oh wait, uh, EPUB and mobile formats. We hear tons of information at every SDC conference and other tech comm circle discussion about publishing to PDF and to web and to Kindle and to mobile and how the mobile is gonna be the next you know, huge thing where you've gotta, you know, well, I don't see a lot of that. The, the Sphinx example does have the options, but uh, in a lot of these sites, they don't really advertise that. Comments on pages, don't see a lot of those. Um, the wikis, tripane web help files, video tutorials. What do you mean by comments on uh, the ability to add a comment on a page, um, like a blog, you know, you go down to the bottom of it, of a page, type in your comment. Have you seen any gamification? Oh, you know, <laughs> having just been in the gamification space, I should, I, she says, have I seen any gamification? There's lots of gamification on sites that teach you how to learn code, like codeacademy.com and other sites. On the documentation sites themselves, I don't, I have not seen it. All right, now I'm not saying that all of these sites are, don't have these. I'm sure you'll find some. Uh, and it's not like I did a comprehensive survey or anything. This is just my, my uh, impressions as I'm surveying things. So here's, here's the big question. You're a tech writer at your company and you've got a REST API and they say, we want you to make this like Dropbox's documentation site. How do you build a beautiful API documentation experience for, for users? Well, you have some options. You've got the cloud-based solutions, the, the readme.io stuff, uh, some others I haven't mentioned. There's, um, somebody mentioned MuleSoft. There's a lot of cloud-based companies that wanna provide a complete solution for your API. So you put your API on there and they've got documentation tools as well. Uh, I believe TurnAPI is one of those or 3scale.net. Th these, are, these are different options. Um, You've got your static site generators. I haven't gone into this, but there's lots of kind of resurgence towards these, these static file generators. Uh, a few of them here, Slate, Wintersmith, Nanook, Jekyll, Pico. There's one called Fixie Docs that somebody was showing me. These are basically generators that will take and process a list of files, usually in Markdown, and spit them out into a site, kind of like a help authoring tool. Um, You've got, with a DITA-based solution, uh, WordPress, you can import DITA files into WordPress, and I'm gonna talk more about that in a minute. With wikis, you've got a few options. You can do your documentation in Confluence. Uh, you know, it's a popular, almost everybody has Confluence internally, right? It's like the new kind of SharePoint. Um, documentation generators, there are a few that I, we touched upon, the, the Swagger, Mashery, Ramble, there's one called Dexy that you, you told me about, uh, oh, yeah. Do, Doco, Enunciate. So these, these are kind of like help authoring tools for the REST API documentation world. Um, but but um, the real question is, you know, if you're a tech writer in a shop that has an API, most likely you're gonna be the one responsible for teaching people how to, how to use the API, you know, the, the getting started tutorials and how you configure it and do a common task that users will have. And what will you write that in? Will you write that in DITA? Will you write it in um, your help authoring tool? Uh, how will you kind of merge worlds? And for me, the question is, uh, because I was using, I'm using DITA, do I keep DITA or do I abandon DITA for something else? So, um, you know, I'm, I choose to focus on topics that I'm currently fascinated with. So uh, what I'm currently exploring is the ability to basically pull DITA into WordPress and use WordPress's capabilities to create beautiful sites uh, that way. Now there's some, a lot of advantages to this. I'm almost done, by the way. Um, it's really easy to build a beautiful site in WordPress without a lot of technical understanding. You can buy a cool theme, that somebody's already coded for 50 bucks and you're set. Um, you can create a multi-site experience. So 
If you've not heard of WordPress multi-site, you basically have one site and you can generate a million little subsites uh, and then control all the themes and plugins for all those subsites based on your central base site. So it, it facilitates kind of this multi-channel uh, need. You can import data. You can add additional functionality. Let's say you need a forum or a Q&A type thing where people can vote. These are already available in the 30,000 plugins on the WordPress platform. So let's say you have support engineers who want to add KB articles and you want to import your data content. You can have content that is both part of your data workflow and outside of that workflow living in the same site. Um, here's a big one. It's super easy to hire out WordPress development. Let's say you want to want to pay somebody to build a site that looks to build a theme that looks just like your site. Five hundred bucks from somebody in Romania. You know, it, it's like very easy uh, to find great talent globally for this platform. Um, there's some other things like analytics. You can add plugins. You can see real-time queries. So basically. This one option is you could, you could use WordPress. Now there are some, some cons with WordPress. It's a database model, so it's gonna be slower. Maybe it might take two seconds for pages to load. People are used to that, right, because WordPress powers like a quarter of the web. But uh, when you compare the loading speed to a static file system, uh, it's noticeable. One, uh, probably the biggest one, is that you have to have a PHP, MySQL, Apache infrastructure in order to install WordPress, which could be a deal breaker if your shop says, hey, we, we need you to just give us some files that we're gonna put on our special little server. Now, if you've got Amazon Web <coughs> Services or something, you can plug into all this stuff, but it could be a, a deal breaker there. Um, a couple other points. It seems to go against the grain of WordPress to regularly be importing content in there. Uh, you know, it's really designed to be a native authoring sort of experience where you author in the cloud and publish. So it's kind of going against the grain of how the tool was designed. But finally, it may just not be a super robust solution if you have massive amounts of docs. Um, but at any rate, that's one way that I'm trying to figure out how to build a beautiful website. Of course, if you've got a front-end development team, you could also kind of partner with them and supply content while they choose some tool and render it that way. All right, and that is the end of my slides. So I want to turn this question to you guys. Uh, how do you, uh, what challenges do you have or what questions do you have about um, API documentation? How are you building cool-looking websites that are on par with the the modern web landscape, or what other challenges do you have? Yes. We're not building websites. That's, that's our that's breadth and depth. How do you really? Yeah, you know what? I, I agree. People don't really they don't really care how you do it. They just want it done. They they see the end product and don't really realize all the work involved or the structure. Tell them, oh, this is in Dita, and they're like, whatever, just give us this. <laughs> Anybody? So, uh, yes? Are you working in a situation where you're the only doc guy there? It, there's a couple of people in an in a Arizona space. Uh -huh. But uh, yeah, I'm the only one in the San Jose space. It's a multi-location. But yeah, yeah, I kind of like it like that, to be honest. I, I like to be the little king in my own territory. But um, no, uh, yeah. <clears throat> I'm kind of excited about the WordPress solution. It, it, I used to do a lot of WordPress consulting uh, in kind of previous periods of my life, and it, it's it's a platform that I think is something tech writers can easily manipulate. You, you can add CSS and jQuery and do stuff, and if not, there are so many plugins that you just activate and bam, it's it's working. Um, I would love to see emergence of the two of worlds. I don't think it's ever going to be a platform that's robust enough for like you know some company who has massive amounts of documentation, but you know for all these small sites or smallish APIs, it seems like it has a lot of promise. Um, but this space, this just in conclusion here, I just want to say I think it's the most interesting space to be in because there are no easy answers. There's a proliferation of tools. There's no real common way of doing it, especially among REST APIs. You know, the, the, the native API, sure, there's a common way of doing Javadocs and Doxygen, but REST is all in every different way. And that's partly because 
We have so many more tools at our disposal. It's a lot easier to build things because there's existing frameworks, there's open source things, you grab them, you build them, front end skills, and people are able to right size for their company, whatever kind of solution they need. Uh, so I encourage you to uh, you know, read that intercom issue if you are interested in learning more and contribute on the, uh, there's a LinkedIn group called API Documentation, it's great. And uh, you can contact me, I'd rather be writing.com or my, uh, you can find me there on Twitter as well. And I'd be happy to interact more. Do you have the slides for this? Oh yeah, I'll, po I'll post them on my, on my site as well as uh, the recording here. So, and, uh, yeah, can you stay a couple extra minutes? Of course. Too, if yeah, I'll stay. I'll stay till 8:15. Yeah. <laughs> if I miss, if I miss the 8:40 train, it's a long wait. Yeah. <laughs> oh yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> Thanks.